0: the beaten track. This week we're covering just an album, which is uh, Louis's pick this week. Um, We're covering... Louis, would you like to...
1: Yeah, we're covering Queens of the Stone Age and um, probably their most uh, recognisable record, uh, Songs for the Death. Yes. Yeah, quite exciting. Um, And uh, plenty to talk about as well.
0: Mm. Yeah, probably... I, I think it's, yeah, their most sort of commercially... Definitely the most critically um maybe aside for yeah, maybe the most critically and commercially popular album, I guess.
1: And yeah, I mean, it's um it's probably the sort of the high point of their success, definitely in terms of um and in terms of many things, in terms of the lineup in terms of the the sound and everything. I think it's probably what people think of when you mention Queens of the Stone Age. Even though it might not be my favourite Queens of the Stone Age record, it's definitely the one that uh, people want to talk about and people know
0: yeah i mean yeah the lineup an interesting thing because it's it's such a short-lived lineup but at the same time it, it feels like the the quintessential one the one where everything does yeah, come yeah. together um you know so i don't know i guess we should start with um how how we both sort of where we are on queens of the stone age because i feel like you're more of a fan of them than me but i'm also mm you know, quite a big fan, so.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, obviously Queens the Stone Age um, sort of this Californian uh, stoner and, and desert rock band um, mainly formed around Josh Homie and obviously him being in Caius beforehand. And The reason that I got into them was through Josh Homie's work with um, Arctic Monkeys back in the day and, and then I listened to like Clockwork I think would have been the first thing I listened to. I think I picked that record up and then I just delved further and further into uh, into the back catalogue. And this was one of the albums I picked up on CD. I managed to find that CD today. I must have had that for ages. And so, yeah, I just kind of got, I got obsessed with them at quite a young, young age when I was an impressionable teenager who needed a bit of a hard rock in their life. And Queens of Stone Age gave it me.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is interesting this album's a really interesting intersection between between Stone Rock and between the more sort of um, perhaps more like um, shorter and quicker sort of hard rock that feels very sort of in line with not the the same as like bands like the Arctic Monkeys and stuff are doing but at the same time mm. it's, it's got this popular age and, and, and no one knows the most popular song from this album was like one of those sort of hugely played uh rock songs from the early 2000s yeah. like it's got such a recognizable riff and mm. the yeah so this it's like a an interesting bridge between that and it's also a sort of conceptual album probably getting yeah, started on the album too much, too much at the moment, but.
1: yeah i mean maybe we should talk a little bit about the development because this is the third album and it's definitely you can see that development, like you were saying, from the the first album, the debut album in 1998, which was is a good album, but has a bit of a hangover from maybe the desert rock days of Caius and the more uh, more sludgy guitars and stuff like that, and maybe is a little bit straightforward and doesn't isn't particularly sort of the Queen's donation that we think of, and then you came onto the second record Rated R, which was a bit weirder it had these different vocal contributions from Olivieri uh, who features quite a lot in this album and, and Mark Lanigan who features as well. So you started to get a taste of Queens of Stone Age becoming a little bit weirder and a little bit um, different. You had sort of screaming vocals and you had these, um, a mixture of more conventional pop tracks and and also some some longer tracks and and that really comes to the and then it developed into this album which is where the, that sort of mixture of different vocal contributions and different um song structures comes comes out properly so it's interesting yeah that this yeah it's an interesting point in the in the development because afterwards they josh homie kind of takes over the band almost completely by himself and um yeah olivieri's thrown out and it's it becomes more experimental and a bit more um a bit less radio friendly and there's different things going on and stuff so yeah this is an interesting point in the development
0: mm-hmm. yeah and what you get with with josh homie's work is a lot of the sense of develop like with the desert sessions a lot of the songs on this album you know developed in the desert sessions and there's yeah yeah sense of collaboration that really comes through and yeah, I mean, one thing that's sort of, yeah, this album, you do get a sense of this sort of collective effort and also a very broad sort of range of influences that makes it kind of mm. definitely one of the most interesting albums. And sometimes like perhaps, I don't know, some, for some of the songs perhaps to its detriment are like not entirely as, as focused as like, like Clockwork or, or Rated R yeah. or something. So yeah. it's, it's like a it's a very sprawling record, I think.
1: Yeah, I mean, the reason why, one of the reasons why I love this record a lot is because I think it does what, I think there's three really good Queens of Stone Age records, Rated are, uh, this one, and like Clockwork, and all three of them mainly I like because they've got some very good songs on them and they're interesting to listen to. But then after that one, I think as a sort of, especially as a little Queens of Stone Age nerd, when I was younger, I used to be able to pick apart the different contributions that were made, the fact that lots of the songs were developed on the Desert Sessions, that there are all these different people contributing. I know, you know, Dave Grohl features on this album, which is what everyone kind of talks about, but there's also contributions from all sorts of uh, musicians, Dean Ween and all that business. And then in these other albums as well, there's all these different, contributions and things you never know about you know unlike clockwork elton john sneaks in there and no one ever really knows and mm. it's i like the fact that that was always fun that i could enjoy a record and then i could pick apart all these different facts about it and all these different things going on so yeah there's definitely a sort of collective effort thing in this record
0: yeah and that he's a respected enough musician that these people do work with him like the amount of, yeah like good collaborations that he's done is like quite extraordinary really and especially in terms of like production and, and sort of conceptualizing these albums with like Iggy Pop and stuff so it's yeah yeah so and I think this yeah for me this was the probably the first album I came to from Queens of the Stone Age um and it was really the sort of first run of tracks that you get on this album that um yeah I just thought they were fantastic I sort of listened to them back at like sixth form and stuff with my friends and I just thought it was the sort of best music you could just stick on the orcs or something in a car yeah yeah it's it's heavy and I mean the first song is very heavy but like it's it's so propulsive and the instruments are so like yeah it is like they're all coming together to such a degree where it's Mm. it's just a fantastic sound really
1: it is a great sound, and especially, I mean, I'm sure we'll go on to the the opening couple of tracks because they are brilliant. And yeah, it, the the thing, the great thing about the record is, you know, you've got this. This is the the, the clap is the the classic Queen's lineup. You know, the drums have never sounded better. You've got the mixture of different vocal styles. Conceptually, it's tied together really well by by this um, these radio announcers that they have, and the idea of a journey through the the Californian desert. And overall, everything really comes together. And it's one of the best. It's it's one of the best alternative rock albums there is from that period. And there's a lot of talk, I think, about you know, Nirvana and the sort of post-Nirvana world and, and searching for I think Queen's Italians were kind of called the new Nirvana and stuff like that when they and they came around. And this record, I think, obviously Dave Grohl being on it is ironic, but I think it set them out as something different as well, and some and being able to hold their own in terms of a completely unique sound and that sort of stuff
0: yeah both sort of critically and in terms of just musicianship and just being able to sort of play live and mm. they definitely sound in terms of like things like post-grunge and stuff that they're, they're so distinct as like a, an old rock band compared to like yeah i can't really think of any other especially hard rock albums from that period there that yeah
1: I think there was well, Foo Fighters were releasing a lot of stuff, but I don't think they ever, you know, and not to diss Foo Fighters too much, but I don't think they ever managed to release an album or anything that was as was as good as this one.
0: No, I think two thousand two is even sort of diminishing returns for them because it's past the color and the shape and mm. it's, you know, yeah. I mean, I'm not a Foo Fighters fan, but I think yeah. One other thing that's great about this album is Dave Grohl's drums are a. Uh, also distinct from what he was doing in nirvana i think
1: and yeah
0: it's such a sort of well-realized sort of sound of its own
1: yeah, so yeah he's he's brilliant yeah
0: it's yeah it's kind of virtuosic really what he's doing so yeah, yeah. Uh, should we get started on the first track
1: yeah let's let's talk about the first track so this is you think
0: i ain't worth a dollar but i feel like a millionaire i didn't write that the full it's a million that's dollar, the actually. one not not a billionaire or something. he's not <laughs> Getting cocky. That's like rookie numbers in our day and age, but yeah. <laughs> So it begins with a sort of radio announcer. Um, he's sort of very, sort of annoying, sort of almost this jerkish, sort of like, oh, hey, it's, it's Kip Casper or whatever. It's kind of yeah, a, kind of a parodic sort of uh, radio announcement thing. Um, and he's saying that he's essentially music for your drive time commute, and it's um, you know it's songs for the deaf. It's kind of at this point, just pointing towards like music that you can just sort of switch off and stuff. Mm but then you get these um these sort of tinny distorted drums come in it's very quiet sort of in the mix just these this drum beat and then the sort of fuzzy sort of guitar tone and then you get the the screaming vocal straight out the gate which sort of kicks in everything in the song
1: yeah i mean it's it's a really you know i think it's it's obviously there's this concept of this drive through the desert and turning on the radio when you get in and this there's a play on that there i think because the um, the audio is quite quiet, and I think people tend to turn up the first track because it's quite the the drums are quite muted, and then to their dismay are met with this screaming vocal that yeah. comes out of nowhere. And um, it's such a it's such a brilliant opener. It's 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 completely unmissable. Yeah. Um, the the guitars are fantastic, the stunning riff. You know, Nicola Vieri's vocals are something that I think are missing in the Queens of the Stone Age records later on down the line because I mean this song's a great example of it. The churning guitars, the screaming vocals, um, yeah, it's, it's such a such a brilliant opening. You get opening.
0: these sort of tiny sort of diversions on the guitar as well, where he's just doing yeah. little sort of fretting maneuvers. And then it's another another maybe another aspect of the bit of the sort of surprise start of the song is you have a, a cutout, um, and then it you know waits uh, like maybe like eight or something bars. Yeah. and it just comes back in like yeah for another well, twenty that... seconds
1: or something. Yeah, well that's a theme. Throughout the, record. I'm, I'm sure I'll talk about that later. The amount of sort of fake stops throughout the record, but that's such a yeah, it's such a fantastic opener and is a it's it's funny seeing Queens of is performing that song now with Josh Homme on the vocals because it's such a brilliant song and great such great guitars and stuff, but it's it's just not the same without the without Olivia's vocals. But
0: well, yeah, because it's kind of that's what's weird about this album maybe as well because. If you look at the album cover and like the sort of font and the, it's almost like a uh, very sort of evocative of like metal or something. Yeah. And the song, like the set, definitely the vocal seems like very metal. And mm. then, but arguably it sort of diverts from that with, with no one knows. The, like.
1: the great, I think the, one of the great things about this album is just the, the diversity of vocals. It, it's almost like they have um, four vocalists. They have, you know, Olivieri's screaming vocals. And then also he has this more sort of um, genuine and more pop sensibility type vocals on some of the other tracks. You've got Homme's, Homme's, um Croon, falsetto Croon thing. And then you've got Lanigan's really sort of gritty rasp. But it's one of the great things. And the great thing about the radio announcer and the, and the concept of the album is they managed to bring all these different things together because they're quite, all quite different vocal styles. And it does feel like you're flicking through a radio and, you know, it doesn't necessarily all sound like one band, but because they're tied together through this this radio announcement and this journey, it brings it together really well.
0: Yeah, I think it's a very sort of clever way to link all these like disparate friends mm. that, that they were sort of producing as a band and making it into an album that's really like a statement.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: I mean, we're going to have to talk about the next track as well. So, it's, I, I mean, for, for me, it's like, I like a lot of these sort of... Um, the shorter um, sort of tracks, and there's mm. a few like later on in the album as well, like "Do It Again," and mm. um, oh, what's the? I can't remember what the other one's called. Um, <laughs> the oh my god, okay, but another song we'll we'll get to, it, I'm sure. Yeah, we'll get to it, I'm but, sure. Like, I think no one knows is a, is definitely a standout. Um...
1: Yeah, of course, yeah. Mm.
0: Pleasant One of the most iconic riffs.
1: Yeah, it's it's funny actually because it's it's so well known that riff, and and you know you still hear it in sort of um, the sort of the rock rooms and indie rooms of of sort of clubs and stuff. But it's not particularly, even though it's such a catchy riff and it's got a great groove to it. It's um, you know it's quite a long song and it has lots of quite a lot of things going on. And yeah, so it's maybe not the the obvious choice for the single. Maybe the obvious choice for the single is like go with the flow or.
0: That's what I was Something thinking like like
1: about. Yeah. yeah. Go with the flow, yeah. Well, there you go. But yeah, no one knows. It's, it's got, you know, fan, this amazing riff and it's got this great, it's the Queens of is that recognisable combination of riff, hook, power, powerful chorus. And yeah, it's it. Yeah, it's a very, um, it works really well and it's a standout track, definitely. Yeah,
0: it's got, I like how there's a sort of slide on the end of the riff as well. So it's mm. got this sort of, yeah, this bringing it back up, and it's also got like a really incredible breakdown. This song, which maybe makes it distinct from like some of the other sort of yeah. similar songs. So, yeah, it does break everything down, and and it is this sort of crooning that you get from Homie, and his voice. Um, his lyrics are like really good as well. They're just
1: yeah, the lyrics are lyrics are very good. You know, talking about this journey through the desert of the mind and stuff are very. Um, and there's kind of these sort of bleak drug references and references to paranoia and stuff and the way the song breaks breaks down links really well to that. It's got an almost like um day in the life type breakdown and climax kind of thing going on towards the end of it and it, yeah I, I it, you know it is a very very strong track. Yeah, I think I'm, oh, sorry. I think mate it's funny because I think we'll probably talk about the first 3 or 4 tracks because as you know I feel like missing out any of them is is silly because first it giveth coming after this is another standout.
0: Yeah, it, it's, it's it's insane, and the drumming in first it giveth is like oh yeah. It's just it's just the anchor of like the whole track, and it's just mm. you just listen to it all day. What what Dave Grohl achieves with it is like, in one sense, it's kind of like mechanical because it's so specific and so tight, mm. but then at the same time, it's got these amazing parts where he's rolling the drums and doing these insanely sort of technical fills. That yeah. Just, they're so like imaginative and, and brilliant yeah, just to fantastic. really transcend these tracks and make
1: them like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, First to Give it is, is a great example of what Grohl and Olivieri and Homi have. They have this sort of, when they come together, is this really sort of driving, punishing riff and drums and basses. And again, the chorus is fantastic. And like what you said, I mean, Dave Grohl's drums on this track and, and the next track are... Really stand out, and like you said, he's there's a, there's actually a, quite an interesting video of them recording the album where Homie's talking to Grohl, and he's telling him, you know, give it. He's asking him to sort of do the more technical things, and also try and give it less finesse and make it sound a little bit more mechanical and stuff. It's quite interesting because it's almost exactly what you said. You know, Grohl has the ability to sound punishing and mechanical, whilst also these great drum fills and all the rest of it coming.
0: Mm. Seems a lot. Uh, what he does with like Nirvana or something seems a bit looser and more. Mm. This is very much specifically sort of anchoring the guitars and making it this sort of driving. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's a great track. I don't know. It has a sort of acousticy sort of break where it um, does this sort of rapid sort of acousticy strumming. Mm. And yeah, I mean, another thing to me, I don't. Homie's sort of guitar tone as well seems like something that's quite sort of unique to the album, or at least the the sound of the album in terms of like what I was saying in terms of genre, it, it kind of reaches this um this very specific sort of tone and this sort of speed that that doesn't really yeah. seem uh to sort of evoke any other sort of bands or albums that I can think mm. of, really.
1: Yeah, homie's guitar work is, is fantastic because it's got it can be quite angular and it has these sort of interesting sort of fills and stuff like that. But I think the main, how well the sort of underdriving sound of it is, is brought across in this album is fantastic. And yeah, his, his guitar work has always been something that's admirable and has never sounded better than, than on tracks like First It Giveth.
0: And then this is, that's like the free sort of, buy the album you're
1: like oh my god and then it yeah. slows down it's like yeah a... well then i feel like we should talk about the next track and i know we're doing the sort of this sort of bad thing in reviewing an album where we're just going through it sort of chronologically but i think song for the dead is is worth mentioning as the next track just because purely because of dave Grohl's drums at the start because mm. um yeah it's fantastic those drums are are so intense and the way that the guitar and the drums and the bass match up um are fantastic and it you know it's 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 interesting that the, the way that the way that they all come together and lanagan's vocals first time we hear lanagan mark lanagan from screaming trees who has this sort of grunge grunge type vocal it's kind of raspy it's really gritty and it's completely unique and it sounds fantastic on on tracks like this and that's just a great example of these four core members coming together so well on on that song
0: yeah and him being able to sell those sort of slower more it's more of a lumbering sort of yeah track and but then it's it's got these almost like a, some stone and metal songs you think of, you know, like dope throne or something. You've got yeah. these sort of really fast sort of uh, riffs and stuff coming in late in the song that are interspersed with this sort of repeated rhythm. So it's, it is like yeah, that, the, the journey through the desert and stuff it is this slow sort of, uh, sort of hypnotic aspect that occasionally sort of goes off the rails. And
1: mm. I think though, uh, And I think the lyrics on that track are also very good and, you know, quite bringing these kind of darker themes that comes through. You know, if you're hanging around, I'm holding the noose, it brings in these more darker themes of death and and self-harm and these more sort of gothic themes that do creep into the record and are maybe more reminiscent of metal. Um, But one of the things that, because I don't think this is a perfect album, and one of the reasons why, and definitely this track is bad for it, is well it's one of the bad ones there are, there are others but um is the is the the stops um and the the fake stops and maybe a bit of the sort of guitar the sort of cliched rock and roll things it, it is a bit of a rock, op- it goes a bit rock opera at times some of the some of the stops are just a bit laughable and and I think this song maybe sky is falling and maybe even do it again go on a little bit a little bit too long and there's this 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 idea that the riff needs to keep on going at the end of the track and then they stop and bring it back and I just think it's a bit cliched and it's a bit it's a bit over the top and and it's one of those things that maybe I don't think it detracts completely from the record but it is one of the things that does annoy me about the record a little bit
0: I mean I don't like Skies Falling really even no I I
1: think it's one I think it goes on too long and it's
0: repetitive even without like the end
1: like I think I think it's got the really good sort of driving guitar at the start, and I think, oh, this is interesting, but then it's six minutes and you just, just think, like the well. the
0: lyrics, and you're just like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I and,
1: just, and the chorus just goes again. So I do think that that's one of this album the things that this album it has, and also the, the sort of harmonies in the background, the sort of r's are a bit rock-opery, and I'm thinking, I'm just thinking a bit, oh, I don't think, I think it goes a little bit rock cliche at that point.
0: It's also one of these albums that's really annoying when you put it on at like, if you play it on like a Bluetooth speaker or something, you're like, and it gets to like the part where it's like one minute of talking. It's like, oh shit, I have to like change this immediately. But I mean, that's a, that's a very nitpicky sort of problem. It's not (laughs) an actual problem,
1: but. So yeah, what what tracks do you want to go into on the, uh, on the sort of second, second half of the album?
0: Um, I think, um well, the sort of near the end song for the death. Um Yeah. I mean, I I liked it again quite a lot and I really like track I've forgotten the name of again but I remember that. Go With The Flow. Yeah, Go With The Flow is great.
1: Yeah, it is. I think, yeah, the the second half of the album you get, there's lots of different things going on. Go With The Flow is a great little more radio-friendly kind of style and it's what Queens of the Stone Age have over sort of Caius and the sort of desert rock background is this ability to have more uh, poppy song structures, more conventional structures, uh, but still have the driving riffs and stuff, and yeah, that's such a great, yeah, Go With The Flow is a good example of that,
0: yeah I mean, Ka- and yeah, also, and Kais never would have had that kind of radio
1: yeah, and also the um, we we'll definitely talk about song for the deaf but also maybe a mention to um, the two Olivieri vocal track, Gonna Leave You and Another Love Song just because they're a bit they're thrown in there and they're slightly different from the others. They're kind of these three minute sort of six, almost like 60s garage rock sort of tunes that they have. And I think the vocal style is really well delivered. And I know the kinks are one of Queens of the Stone Age's sometimes less obvious influences, but in those two songs, very obvious that they, they're just this sort of trying to write these kind of more poppy hooks and stuff. And I think they work really well threaded in into the later bits of the album.
0: You get sort of shorter things, like maybe linking to how sprawling and sort of, yeah, going for this theme that they are, like the hanging tree and stuff that that almost don't last that long at all, really. But then Mm. they're presenting, like, these really interesting ideas and then sort of just diving away sort of
1: immediately. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, I think, well, I think we should talk about Song for the Deaf because obviously it's kind of the the sort of thematic, well, maybe the stylistic close of the album because the, the final song is a hidden, a kind of a hidden song. And it has, I think my favorite sort of radio introduction of the lot from Natasha Snyder, who went on to be in the band later on and she sort of introduces this sort of, she, she's kind of this great sort of um, speaking voice and, you know, coming into the, talking about her pets coming into the womb and, um, it's really quite creepy and you have these sabbath like riffs and these brilliant guitar fills and it's this it's really well done sort of darker more gothic and it, yeah just in time for halloween it's kind of a bit terrifying with these screams in the background and stuff and i think it's really well done
0: i mean sabbath has another influence that's like yeah more obvious than the Kinks, obviously because because of how influential they were on on doom and, mm. and stone and metal and, yeah, well, mate. it's very interesting just for how many sort of subgenres of metal they sort of yeah definitely and kicked off. But yeah, I mean, it is this the slower sort of more more deep um, sort of distorted and sort of yes, yeah, stonery sort of track. And yeah, well, I mean, do you want? I don't know if the the title like "Song for the Deaf" and that sort of idea. If, that, if that's what kind of resonance does that have? Because in in a sense, it's an, another thing that could be seen as like slightly gimmicky because it's like, oh, obviously deaf people yeah. can't hear very well. So it's like... yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's funny
1: because yeah, I mean, "Songs for the Deaf," but it's also you know one of the loudest albums, really. Mm. Um, yeah, I think. Yeah, I think, look, I mean, you can tell through the radio introductions where they take sort of cheap shots at commercial radio. You know, we have things like LA's Infinite Repeat and, um, you know, and you have these other bits of radio, you know, you have the more gospel stations before God is in the radio, which I think is a good track. And I think it's good how they link the sort of gospel radio, the idea of going through desert California where you'd have those kind of radio stations. So there's definitely humour involved in what's going on and there's definitely um yeah there's definitely and i think that's obvious in the title you know songs for the deaf is is ironic but it also fits into the maybe the, the darker themes as well
0: you could do a you could line it up with songs for the blind by swans you could have a little yeah yeah One in a really long sort
1: of well, and, and song and song for our daughter by laura marlin it could be yeah. it could be also. <laughs> Everyone would have a song for them by that point. Yeah. And yeah, so, and then and then you get this the final track, obviously, which is like the hidden mosquito song, which is this sort of creepy, odd, hidden end. Um, and the album sort of winds down, it's sort of vampiric sort of nightmarish style, which I quite like. Even yeah, it's, it's a, a good bit, tune. Yeah. It's it's interesting because that track maybe a bit like hanging tree, or maybe nods to the direction that. Queen of Stone Age taking the next album which is a bit more experimental. It has mm. um, slightly darker themes, these sort of grim fairy tale themes and medieval medieval um, tales and stuff like that. And obviously the, the name of the next album comes from that song. So it's interesting that that links on to that.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah. Especially like Burn the Witch. Yeah. Things like yeah. they'll go for this more gothic and strange I think I'm just thinking. I don't think I've ever listened to the sort of um, the light bulb we have
1: Lullabies to Paralyze. No, I've listened oh, no. to Lullabies Ere Par- Vulgaris, to- yeah, yeah. I haven't
0: listened to that one, yeah. I, I mean, I think Lullabies to Paralyze is pretty good to be fair,
1: yeah. I like that one. I think Ere Vulgaris is generally regarded as the the. Well, maybe in that the latest album maybe is not being as good, but still good. They, I mean, it's quite experimental and has lots of different things going on, but it doesn't have the the sort of diverse range of 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 this album and the different vocal styles and stuff. I guess another thing is is what do you think about the the lyrics on the album? Because I think maybe you could accuse Queen's Stone Age of not being the most interesting lyrically maybe until like clockwork which is a, a different sort of beast but the lyrics maybe they the, thematically they do quite well in sticking to the darker sort of ideas and these ideas of drug use and stuff like, and paranoia that queens of Age have a lot but you know I, the lyrics on the album to me aren't one of the things that
0: stand wow. out i mean i like that they're in opposition to like a lot of alt-rock bands that we listened to at the time they are going for a less sort of personal or even Mm. uh a sort of style that's linking it to like it seems more abstract and like these the sort of theatrical quality of metal and things like that is and i think that helps i think that links really well with like what the actual sound of the album is and i think in that sense it couldn't be even if you don't think that the lyrics are like sophisticated all the time it couldn't really be any other way do you know what i mean It couldn't couldn't have sort of the lyrics that like Nirvana were doing or something, yeah, really sort of internalized, even if they do go in that direction sometimes. And or, or you know, what you get with bands like The Strokes and stuff that come out of that yeah. time, which is more linking it to sort of modern life and youth and things, it, it operates on the sort of plane of the you know, devils and angels and sort yeah. of the uh, celestial sort of aspect. I quite enjoy that it gives a real epic feel and like i think some yeah some songs do benefit from that sort of sense of abstraction where it's it's just something you can put on and sort of the lyrics you can sort of get lost in they're not they're not bad and they're not sort of something you'll look at and be like whoa these are like the most profound things ever but at the same time they're they're really fun to sort of sing along to and yeah so i I, i'm a a fan i would agree
1: i I think i would agree that i think the work well with with the tracks, you know, I don't think there's any track where I think the lyrics are, you know, do, well, maybe there's a couple of just repeated choruses that are a bit annoying, but the the lyrics I think work well for the tracks and and the sound. And yeah, I think you summed it all very well, that was a a good way of of putting it, yeah. And I don't think early Queens of the Stone Ages lyrics are things that people really put it down to, but it's interesting that obviously, when they come to like clockwork, then the lyrics are a lot to do with with um, what's so good about that album and stuff. But this one, much more about the, yeah, like you say, the sort of thematic elements of um, of death and and this sort of metal, do metal themes and stuff like that, that that fit in really well. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, you've got a quiz or something, haven't you?
1: I have got a nice little quiz to finish us off. So, when I um, when I decided that we were going to do Queens of the Stone Age this week, um, I was contacted by a group of uh, Queens from history who are forming a supergroup. Ah. Oh. Yeah. So we've got five. Um, they're going to obviously they're going to be performing. Penn at the ready. Yes, pen at the ready. They're going to be performing this album. Um, so we've got five members of this group. We've got. Um, guitar and vocals. So that would be Josh Homme's sort of role. Yeah. We've got the drums. Yes. We've got bass and the screaming vocals. Okay,
0: bass and screaming,
1: yeah. And then we've got the, the Mark Lanigan's vocals, however, want you do that, the gritty vocals. And last but not least, we've got a radio announcer.
0: Right, okay.
1: And so, and the, the group of five queens that got in contact with me were um, Queen Victoria.
0: That's a very like her
1: too. Yeah, yeah, She's always she's always get she's always messaging me, but this time I uh, I saw it and uh, Queen uh Boudicca or Bodicea. I never know which one to yeah,
0: I said Boudicca.
1: Yeah, Boudica. Got Cleopatra. Ah, okay. And Anne Boleyn. Right. yeah. And uh, last but not least, Marie Antoinette.
0: Right. Okay.
1: So there you go. they are your five queens, and it is your job to guess which um, which band member they they are.
0: Mm. I mean, I should say I don't really know anything about Boudicca, so this is.
1: But she just she was quite a scare. I think she scared all the Romans. That's the thing to uh, that I know about.
0: I was it. hoping you'd do like Bloody Mary or something, it's like a stick on bass and screaming immediately, but.
1: Well. As you remember from last time, sometimes there's quite surprise picks in different ones. So you know.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that, I have to say I think Victoria. Whoa! Well, mm. <laughs> I was going to go Victoria for radio announcer immediately because I was okay. like, I just feel like she couldn't do any of the other ones. <laughs> just because
1: she's not able to, she's, to do anything.
0: She's coming up to the age of radio, you know. She's. Yeah. Uh, and she's. I think she would speak sort of in quite a. She's not like known for being a massively great public speaker. Maybe you've picked one of the queens who's a better orator, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Do um, you know I'm going to stick Victoria on radio announcer because she's... Okay. She strikes me as kind of quite sort of bland and <laughs> okay. she's not... She could, she can't even be part of the real band. She just sort of does the yeah. speaking. Um, Marie Antoinette's an interesting one because, you know... Mm. bit wild maybe maybe she could um you know she's sort of known for sort of pissing off the the peasant class yes um but that doesn't really transfer very well to musical instruments
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah there was no member of the queens that was famous for for that specifically
0: no um it's quite difficult, actually.
1: It is quite, it is quite a difficult one. I think the main the advice that I would give you is just go for it. And I think that uh, you've got one down. You've got Queen Victoria on, on radio.
0: Oh, it's just bass and screaming is such a distinct one. It's like, who's going to scream?
1: Mm.
0: Probably not Anne Boleyn. Um Do you know what? I'm just going to go for it. Go, a- go for it. Anne Boleyn on drum. Yeah. Marie Antoinette is going to be Bass and Screaming. Okay. Because none of the queens you picked, to my knowledge, are like so wild. But I just think Marion Tumet could pull off.
1: Okay. It's
0: quite a temperamental character. Um, then that leaves us with guitar and vocals and Lanyon, Lanyon, um, Yeah. vocal. <laughs> Gritty. Um, <laughs> do you know what? Uh, I'm going to have Cleopatra on guitar and vocals. Okay. And Boudicca on Lanigan.
1: Okay. Well, I have to say, I think you might have done a better job at that than than what the the actual group have done, But because I, I liked you thinking through that. That made sense. I can tell you that you, Queen Victoria is the radio announcer. Yeah. Because you were right, she can't do anything else. Okay. That's it. She has no musical skill whatsoever. Unfortunately, though, um, Marie Antoinette is on... The gritty vocals. Um, Okay. She's got a real wild side to her, apparently, and she delivers those Lanigan vocals quite well. On bass and screaming vocals is Anne Boleyn uh, because of her nimble fingers. And she also had an extra finger, which makes her very good at bass playing, gives (laughs) her an advantage. And just like Olivieri, she came to a a not so great end. end, yeah. Yeah, but she had a great screaming vocal um on the drums is cleopatra
0: okay I, wait
1: no i didn't get that one right but no unfortunately <laughs> and and then well obviously it's cleopatra and then and Boudica on guitar vocals because she's the sort of leader she's a sort of strong scary one like okay. homie you know this big sort of scary figure so yeah there you go that's the queens of the stone age queen supergroup.
0: yeah makes sense
1: that's- and there we go.
0: No, no qualms there, us. The <laughs> perfect super group.
1: Well, I enjoyed this one, Joe. I enjoyed talking about yeah. Queens of the Stone Age.
0: The the real trick now is what's going to be next week because it is mm. it's Halloweeny
1: time. Yeah, well, this one was nice. It's kind of an it's kind of Halloweeny. Got a Halloweeny sense.
0: Mm. But yeah, I'd like to pick
1: something that's Halloweeny. All right,
0: that is all from us.
1: Yeah, we'll see, see you. Uh, next see you next time. Mmm.